Jesus, thank you for what you've done on our behalf. Thank you for the incredible love that you have displayed for us. Lord, as we talk more about that love that you have and that you desire for our love for our lives, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come near to us. We ask that you would speak to us. Lord, we want to hear your voice. We want to be transformed by the word of God. So please come. Please tune out any other voices. May we only hear the voice of Jesus, I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you were royalty, how would you display your love? What would you do to help somebody know how much you love them or, or to make a proposal? I mean, if you're royalty, it's, it's kind of a high bar that could be set already by people who aren't royalty and what they do to, 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 to have a proposal. How would you go about asking a woman to marry you, a future princess? There's an interesting story back in 2010, a very famous royal couple by the name of Prince William and Kate Middleton got engaged. And in that engagement, Prince William was thinking about, what do I give to her on this special day of engagement? How do I show her my love? And he thought about the ring that was his mother's ring, Princess Diana's ring. It was a sapphire ring. It was a a beautiful sapphire ring surrounded by diamonds. And it meant so much to him that he said, that's it. That is how I'm going to show my love to Kate. And he tells a story about how I think they were in Africa and they were on this vacation together and he was carrying it around in a knapsack and he knew he just had to make sure that he watched out for that because that was what he was going to use to show his love. He wanted to have this ring preserved for Kate. But how much more has God displayed his love for us? Last week, we took a look at Exodus chapter 24. And when God shows up to the Israelites, you remember what he shows up, how he has this theophany. He he reveals himself to the leaders of Israel and he shows up on his throne. and, And all that's really pictured there in Exodus chapter 24 is this sapphire pavement that's crystal clear like the sky that's below the throne. And then right after that, in Exodus 24 and verse 12, it says that God said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there and I will give you tablets of, and we learned in Hebrew, it says the stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So this seems to indicate, now we don't have pictures, we don't have any clear word besides this indication, but it seems like the Ten Commandments were probably written on sapphire. Why? Why would God write this beautiful law on sapphire? Well, the sapphire that was pictured right before that was under God's feet. And we learn in Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10 that God's throne is compared to a a throne that's of sapphire. You see, the Ten Commandments, we look at them as these old laws back in the day, but they really represent something so much more beautiful, something so, so much more powerful And that is the very foundation of the government, of God's government. It represents what God is all about. It represents how he deals with humanity, how he has dealt with the whole universe throughout eternity. That's what God's law is all about. It's about how he runs things. And so you can see why that 
the enemy would often attack God's law. The enemy wants to put down God's law. But what is God all about? What is God's law all about? You know what 1 John 4 verse 8 says? Let's go to 1 John 4 and verse 8. Who is God? What is God's like? What is God's character? I love the, all the, the books that John has written. If you go to the Gospel of John, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus that we see there. And then in 1 John, again, we find the that John the Revelator, who also wrote Revelation, it's another beautiful book, he pictures the love of God in such beautiful ways. And that's because in the Gospels, he's the beloved disciple. He's the one who most exposed himself, most opened himself up to Jesus' love. He's the one that we find in the upper room who's reclined next to Jesus. He's reclined up against Jesus as close as he can get. He just loves Jesus. There's so much love for Jesus and John. And that's why we find in the book of 1 John that he describes Jesus, he describes God in such beautiful ways. 1 John 4, in verse 8, it says, He who does not, what? Love, does not know God, for God is love. God is love. God can be described, his character, everything about God can be summed up in one word, love. And then he goes on to say this. If you go to 1 John 5, he goes on to further describe this love. In verse 3, he says, For this is the love of God that we what? Keep his commandments. This is the love of God. If we keep God's commandments, this is what his love is all about. This is what God is all about. This describes God's unselfish love, his care for humanity, his care for others. This is how God lives and God wants for us to participate, to become a part of this beautiful character of love. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments aren't burdensome because it's all about love. You know, when Lee and I got married, I had a friend up at PUC who told me we were playing intramurals, and I had just gotten engaged, and so all the guys knew that I'd gotten engaged, and found out that I was going to get married just a couple months later, and I remember one of the, my uh, teammates on the football team, he said to me, you really want to get married? Do you know what you're getting yourself into? Do you know what this is going to be like? Do you, do you know that you're going to have to start taking the garbage out? Oh, okay. What else? <laughs> it's like, you know you're going to have to, like, you're going to have chores. You're gonna, it's going to be just like bondage, man. You're gonna, you don't want to get married. Thankfully, I didn't listen to him. <laughs> Went ahead and got married, and I discovered that taking out the trash is a joy because whenever I take out the trash, you should see the smile on Leah's face. And I love Leah. And when there's not the trash, the garbage building up in the house, she is delighted. She's thrilled. And I can't think of anything better than to bring joy to Leah because I love Leah. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 14 and verse 12. He said, Let's go to John chapter 14 and verse 12. Jesus said that if we love him, we will keep his commandments. John 14 and verse 12, it says, sorry, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, there's 
in the Greek, there's discussion as to how this should be translated, because this could be a future here. It could say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, this is what God's government is all about. This is the very foundation of who God is and how he runs things. He is focused on others. He's unselfishly caring about others. He's a complete God of love. And so when God brings a people out of Egypt, God takes this people who'd been slavery, all that they know is bondage, all that they know is the antithesis of freedom. Thank you, John, for sharing about veterans and what they've done for us. We're so thankful for those of you that have stood up for our country and all that's gone on with that. But here you have God delivering a people through an incredible process from Egypt. He brings them into the wilderness, and the first thing he does is he takes them to Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, he goes and he displays to them what his loving character is like and how they can go ahead and live out that character in their lives. That's what the scripture reading that Chris read for us is all about in Romans chapter 13. It describes, you may have heard that Christ came and he fulfilled the law. How do you fulfill the law? And Paul tells us that we can fulfill the law. In Romans 13 and verse 8 it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has, what? Fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's quoting there from Leviticus 19 and verse 18. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This is what the law is all about. This is why the commandments are so important. This is why in Psalms he says, your commandments are forever. The the covenant which has come forth from your mouth, it's to last forever because God's love is everlasting. And it goes on and on. And God wants us to have his character in our lives. And so that's why he gives us the commandments. If we go back to uh, Leviticus Actually, let's go back to Numbers chapter 15. We talked a little bit about this last week. We don't know for sure that the Ten Commandments were written on sapphire, but that sure seems to be what's indicated in the text. We know that there's this beautiful picture of God giving Moses these tablets that were created by God, likely on sapphire, and then Moses bringing them down to the people and smashing them when they had committed this this grave sin. But we do know for a fact that blue became a color that represented the law of God. If you look in Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 37, we looked at this briefly last week. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the what? The harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. It's basically like an engagement. When God brought 
the law to his people. He said, I've brought you out and you're going to become my people. You're going to be my own special people, my special bride. And here is the law. And this is what's going to help you to continue to have this freedom that I've given to you, to continue to walk in this abundant life that I want to give to you. You just need to live out this in your life. I want to empower you to live out this law in your life, this law of love. So God gives them the Ten Commandments and to remind them, he had each of them sew around the base of their garments. They, they all wore long robes back in the day. It was probably cooler in the, the desert. And in the bottom, they were to, to weave this blue ribbon around the bottom so that whenever they looked down and saw at the corners of their robe, they would notice, there's that blue around my robe. That reminds me that I'm a part of God's people. I'm God's special chosen person. And as God's special chosen person, I've chosen to live in line with his government. And his government is based on what? Love. And so I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And I'm going to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, because this is the entire law. Like Jesus said in Matthew 23, he said that The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what the law is based on. It's based on love. And this was to keep them from harlotry. Now, is this literally talking about going and becoming a prostitute? No, here God is talking about this is going to keep you within my love. It's going to keep you from going away from my law of love that keeps you in my love. You know, when you decide to be married, you make some pretty strong commitments. I know I did when, when I stepped up at the altar and he, my dad actually performed our wedding and we were there giving our vows to each other. I pledged some pretty lofty things to Leah. You know, I pledged that she was going to be the only one for me. No other women. It's kind of interesting. The first commandment is what? You shall have no other gods before me. And in our relationship, we didn't talk about this at the altar, but I also pledged to her not even to look at other women, not to look at pornography, not to look at any other things. What is the second commandment? You shall not make for yourself any graven images, and you shall not bow down to them or serve them. It only makes sense in a love relationship that God comes first, that he is preeminent, that he is the focus of all of our love. What's the third commandment? You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. You know, when Leah and I were dating, there were times when we would be at people's houses. And I would tell a story about how funny it was, something that I thought was funny that Leah had done. And afterwards, we'd be in the car driving back home and she'd say, you know, (laughs) when you share that story about me, I didn't feel too good. (laughs) I said, oh, you know. I thought it was funny, but I guess for her, it was kind of embarrassing. And I made a commitment, you know, okay, when we're in public, I'm going to share positive stories about you. I'm going to share the good things that you've done, which are numerous. There's so many amazing things she's done. I'm going to take her name, and I'm going to honor it. And it's the same way in a love relationship with God. As we come and we worship God, we love God, we put him first. We don't look at other things. We don't want anything to take God's place. And we want to take his name and honor it. It, Living as a Christian is one way to honor it. If, If I say I'm a Christian and then I live like a heathen, 
Am I honoring God's name? I'm taking his name in vain. I'm saying that I am Christ's child. And then I hate people. I mistreat people. I don't follow God's government of love. Then I'm taking his name in vain. The fourth commandment. It goes on to say that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you should not do any work. This is a day. This is incredible what God has for us. God actually wants to take 24 hours. And he wants to give it to us as an incredibly special gift for you and I to focus on him. When Leah and I were dating, she told me, I remember it was, I think it was that first date that we went on. She said, you know, you don't have to worry about like getting me a lot of gifts. You don't have to worry about all the, even, even how extravagant our dates are. She said, but what really matters to me is that you take time and you spend it with me. Now, what if I had, in that date, uh, set my clock and I'm watching my clock and I'm thinking, okay, date starts at, seven, uh, at 5 o'clock and it ends at 7 p.m. And so I'm looking at my clock, okay, 5 o'clock, okay, this is me and you time, Leah. And we're, we're hanging out at a restaurant, wherever it is. I'm looking at my watch. She's asking me, What's, why are you looking at your watch? Well, 7 o'clock. I've, I'm just watching for 7 o'clock so I could leave. How would that feel to Leah? I mean, how long would that relationship have lasted? If that's all I'm thinking about is, when is this over? Have you ever noticed at Seventh-day Adventists, we tend to focus on when is sunset and when is on Friday and when is sunset on Saturday night? Not that there's anything wrong with that because this helps us to see when this precious 24-hour period is that God has given us. But when I was a kid, it was like, when is this over so that I can get to the good stuff? When instead God is saying, I just want to give you this precious gift because in my presence, Psalm 1611 says, is fullness of joy. And I want to give you a special time period that nobody can take away, that, that is just for you and me to spend together. And any time that I tread on that, any time that I choose to go against what he said, to, to not work on this day, to, to do anything against that commandment, I'm basically turning against his government of love and saying, I want to go my own way. I want to do what I think is best. I, I don't really love you, God. I don't really want to put you first in my life. I want to go and do what I want to do. And it breaks God's heart. So he says, here I gave you this beautiful thing for you. Leah has a, uh, she really enjoys when we have some time off to take a nap. I'm a person that doesn't really enjoy naps. But Leah works so hard, she's so high energy that to her, naps are really precious. So we'll, we'll have an afternoon off and she'll say, okay, let's take a nap this afternoon. I'll say, okay, okay I guess we could do that. So I'm going and we, we lay down and I'll pull out my phone. What are you doing, Zach? Oh, just setting a timer. Why are you setting a timer? Well, because I don't want to sleep too long. <laughs> Well, just enjoy the nap. Just, just, this is time for us together. Why are you setting a clock? But yet I found so often in my experience when it comes to God's law that I just want to find out what's the minimum that I have to do and, and how can I get that accomplished and then get on with life. When God's saying, I want to invite you 
to enter into a love relationship, a relationship that's so beautiful, that's so filled with joy, that's so filled with love that it's unlike anything you've ever experienced. And in order to portray it to us, he uses so many beautiful pictures throughout the Old Testament. He tries to represent the law is so beautiful, it's so wonderful. The psalmist just cries out and says, the law is more valuable than gold. It's more precious than silver or gold. It's, it tastes better than honey. It's wonderful because it's his law of love. And so we saw there in Numbers 15 that God told them to put a blue tassel around the bottom of their robes. They were to put this blue ribbon around to remind them that they were God's chosen people. This was kind of like their engagement. It was to remind them that you are my special people and so you're going to keep my commandments because they're all about love. Not only with the, uh, each individual Israelite, but if you go back to Exodus, we find that this was actually something important for the priests themselves. The priests were actually to also have these special garments that were of specific colors. If you go to, back to Exodus chapter 28, Exodus chapter 28 starting in verse 1 begins to describe these garments that were for the priests. It says, Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. So often as you read through the Old Testament, it describes all these details. And so often it describes it as being for glory, for beauty. It's it's to represent God's wonderful character. And Jesus is our high priest. So it goes down and we're just going to note specifically what these garments look like. If you go down to verse 5, it says, They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen artistically worked. So what were the colors that were to be on the high priest? What were the colors that are there? What are some of them that are listed? Gold, blue, purple, and scarlet. Okay. So remember, the blue specifically was for every Israelite. He had it around the border of his garment to keep him from harlotry, to keep him from going away from God's commandments. Now let's go down to Revelation chapter 17. In Revelation 17, it describes a group of people at the very end. Throughout history, throughout Bible history, starting in the Old Testament, God describes his special people as a bride. They're like his chaste virgin, virgin, it says. But whenever they choose to go against him, whenever they go after the Baals or they put up their own idols and they, they choose not to follow God's government of love, he compares them to a harlot. He compares them to those who have gone completely astray. So in Revelation 17, there's this dramatic picture. We're going to start in verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now notice how it describes this woman. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. 
and on her forehead a name was written, Mystery of Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. What's missing with this woman? This woman is wearing priestly colors. She's wearing gold. She's wearing scarlet. She's wearing purple. But there is something missing in her attire. And what is that? She has no blue. She's missing the incredible element of blue that was to remind people not to stray into harlotry. It was to remind people of God's government of love. It was to remind people that God is love. And so in the end, we find that there's going to be a group of people who appear to be following God. Isn't that what harlotry is all about? Harlotry is not about appearing to follow God, but it's about a false love. People pay a harlot in order to appear like they're having a love relationship when in reality there's no love there. It appears like it's love on the outside, but love is completely void from that relationship. And here you have a woman who throughout the Bible represents God's people. You have God's people who are represented as being like a harlot. They've turned away from God. And I praise God that in Revelation 18 it says, come out of her, my people. Or in Revelation 14, the second angel says that come out of Babylon. Come away from this fornication and come to God's true people. And what's missing in this Harlot, it's the color of blue. It's God's law that's missing. Where in Revelation 14, 12, it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Now, it might be tempting for those of us who know about the law of God at this point to say, yeah, those who are represented by the harlot are those who are are not following God's law. They don't recognize the importance of the commandments. They don't recognize that it's based on, that God's government is based on his law. And yet for me, I realize as I look into God's law, James 1.23 compares God's law to a mirror. As I look at God's law and I see how beautiful it is, I see the love that is pictured there that God wants for me to have for him. I realize that sometimes I'm just going through the motions too. I realize that, that maybe I may have more of Babylon in me than I realized. Because sure, I might not be having any other gods. I might not be graving any images and making idols and worshiping them. But am I doing it out of love? Or am I doing it just to go through the motions? Because that's what a harlot does a harlot goes through the motions but there's not any true love there and God is love and the commandments are all about love because this is the love of God that we keep his commandments so I realized that in reality although I might be following God's law on the outside on the inside I might be little better than a harlot I might really be totally neglecting God's law because I'm, I'm not filled with overwhelming love for Jesus. I could be sitting here every Sabbath in church and yet be missing the point. Jesus wants us to fall radically in love with him. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to keep his commandments because we love him. Not because we recognize that there's this end time event coming that's dangerous and we want to be on the right side. Those things are important, but only so much as they leave us, lead us to a deeper 
loving relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. When my heart recognizes its own filthiness, its own lack of love, I'm not able to change that. How about you? Are you able to, when somebody's hard to love, somebody's difficult to love, you know, a person in your family or a person at work, that person who really gets on your nerves, have you ever woken up in the morning and said, today I'm going to love them? How well does that work? It can be pretty difficult to go through the day and love somebody who seems so unlovable. And in my own life, I can say, well, I know that God's commandment is good, and I agree with the law, I see that it's holy and just, and I see that it's all about his loving character, and still, I find myself not loving God like I want to love him. I find myself all too impure, all too full of everything that I don't want to be full of. But it gives me hope to look at a story in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, there's a woman who's been burdened in her life. She's been burdened with something that would have made her untouchable in her society. A harlot is somebody that nobody wants to get near. Well, similarly in the, the Jewish culture, if you had a flow of blood, it was something that was so filthy. It was something that was unclean and you couldn't get around people. You couldn't touch people. You couldn't get near people. And in Luke chapter 8, there's a woman who's been struggling with this for 12 years. Luke chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, but 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. The people are pressing in around Jesus. There's a huge crowd just like always around Jesus because people love to get near Jesus because he had power, because he was popular at this point in his ministry. Later on, they all abandoned him. But here the people are thronging around Jesus. They're pressing in close to Jesus. Now a woman, verse 43, having a flow of blood for 12 years. She had this illness for 12 long years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. She tried her hardest. She'd gone to the doctor. She'd gone to the physician. She tried everything to try to get better and it wasn't working. She'd spent all of her livelihood and in fact, Mark chapter 5 tells us that she'd only gotten worse. Have you found that before? That when you try to follow God's law, when you try to love God, sometimes things just go the opposite of what you're hoping for. That's because our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all else. Who can understand them, Jeremiah tells us. In fact, hold your finger here and go over to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. It talks about our own righteousness and how valuable that can be. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, it says, But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, that means all of our good deeds, all the stuff that we do in trying to follow God's government and trying to be in line with God's will in our lives, all of our righteousness are like filthy rags. Now the word used here in Hebrew 
is for menstrual rags. So he's saying these are filthy, these are unclean, just like this lady who had a flow of blood, saying any of our righteousness is just like filthy rags. It's, it's unclean, it's so worthless, it's so valueless. Everything that we can possibly do in trying to measure up to what God is calling us to is so worthless. But there's hope. We go back to the story. This woman who for 12 years had this flow of blood and could not be healed by any. She was only getting worse as she spent all of her money on the physicians. It didn't work out for her. Verse 44. Came from behind and touched the what? The border of his garment. That Greek word is the exact same word that's used in the Septuagint when it describes what the Hebrews were to do. They were to put that blue tassel around the border of their robe. She reached out and she touched the only righteousness that makes any difference, and that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. She herself was filthy. She was unclean. She didn't have what it took, but she reached out and she touched Jesus. And in touching Jesus, everything changed for this woman. Came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those who were with him said, Master, multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? You know, we can come to church. We can be around Christian things. We can even read our Bibles. We can pray and yet not be changed by that experience. Hebrews eleven six says, He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This woman reached out in faith. She believed that while everybody was brushing up against Jesus, she believed that just to touch Jesus because of his righteousness, because of his cleanness, that it would heal her, that it would restore her, that it would make her whole. And she reached out in faith and she touched Jesus. And in that instant, the flow of blood stopped. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to, to clean out all of that baggage, all of that stuff, and to give us his heart of love. But Jesus said, somebody touched me, verse 46, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. When he says your faith has made you well, he could have used a word like therapeuso. To, it could have been a word for healing that is just physical healing. But instead he uses the word sozo here. And sozo is the word for salvation. It's the word for being totally made well. It's for being restored in every possible way. And when you and I reach out and we touch Jesus in his righteousness, he wants to totally change our lives and to fill our lives with that incredible love that flows through his being. He wants for his righteousness to become our righteousness so that we can love this world like he loved it. And that's the picture that you find in the end because you find not a harlot, but you find a bride clothed in white that has made herself ready for a wedding feast in the end of Revelation. 
you find a group of people like Revelation 14, 12 said, who have the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Not just the commandments, not just recognizing the love of God and his government and how good that is, but also having the faith to reach out and say, Jesus, I don't have what it takes. I need you to fill me with your righteousness. This is what matters when we come down to the end. That is clinging to Jesus, to his righteousness, and recognizing his beautiful law of love. In the book Ministry of Healing, it says the badge of Christianity is not an outward sign, not the wearing of a cross or a crown, but it is that which reveals the union of man with God. By the power of his grace manifested in the transformation of character, the world is to be convinced that God has sent his son as its redeemer. It's by the transformation that takes place inside of you and I. We were talking about this last night when we had our, the young adults over for dinner and Bible study. We were talking about what a difference it makes when somebody's life has been radically changed. We see that with Terrence and the difference in his life. People around him say, Terrence, what's happened to you? What's different about you? Just this week, John was saying that about Ashley. He says, I noticed there's this difference about this girl. She's not the same girl as before. The gospel is real. Goes on to say, no other influence that can surround the human soul has such power as the influence of an unselfish life. This is what God's love is all about. It's about thinking about others before ourselves. It's about unselfish love. The strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian. This is what God is looking for. He's looking to put his character inside of you and I and make us so loving, so full of love for him that we follow the first four commandments and so full of love for everyone around us that we're fulfilling the rest of the law. And in the process, people around us are going to see his love in such a beautiful way that they can't help but want to know Jesus too. This can only take place through the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 5, 5 tells us an incredible promise. It's an incredible promise I love to claim. Romans 5, 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint. There's so many lofty promises in the Bible. There's so much hope that God has given us. And sometimes it just seems so far from what I'm capable of achieving in my life. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit and this is what it's all about. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 415, it says, The last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. In Revelation, it describes the people who have God's name written on their forehead. They represent God's character in such an incredible way. They are representing the love of God, and that is what God has called you and me to. But if you're like me, you recognize that that love doesn't come naturally. That naturally, I turn away from God all too often. And so today, I just need to reach out and to touch Jesus. Just like that woman who for 12 years had tried in every possible way to reform her life, to transform her life. She tried to find cleansing in any other way. But when she finally touched Jesus, 
everything changed in a moment. And you and I, when we reach out and we touch Jesus, not just like those who are brushing shoulders with Jesus, but when we reach out in faith and say, Jesus, something has got to change, and I believe that your righteousness, your loving character can transform everything in my life, when we reach out like that, Jesus is going to change our lives. So I want to invite you to reach out and to touch Jesus this morning. Maybe for somebody here, this might be your very first time reaching out for Jesus. Jesus wants to save each and every one of us. He wants to make each and every one of us whole. And there's no time like now. This morning, we got a text message about a young adult back in Modesto. He was walking down the street near his house. And a drunk driver came down the street, apparently went off the road and hit him. And he died. And it breaks my heart to think how short life is. How few are the moments in which we actually have to choose Jesus. I don't want anybody to leave here without the invitation to reach out and to touch Jesus as your loving Savior. So if you've never made that choice today, please make that choice. Make that choice to choose Jesus, to trust in his righteousness. Or maybe you're like me and you recognize that I've known that the commandments are important. I know that it's, it's important to follow Jesus. In fact, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist all my life. But I see I need more of the love of Jesus in my heart. I see that, that I've been going through the motions. I've been even observing Sabbath for 24 hours. But, but it's not been about love. I've been watching the clock It's not about a date with my God. It's not about spending time with the best friend in the universe. And I want to have that love in my life. No matter where you're at on that spectrum, I just want to invite you today to reach out and to touch Jesus. Because when you reach out and you touch Jesus, He makes everything whole. Let's pray together. Jesus, we need you. We desperately need you. All of our righteousness, anything good that we could possibly do in this life, it really turns out to be nothing more than filthy rags. No matter how hard we try, we just keep falling. But today, we just want to reach out and touch you, Jesus. We want to come into agreement with your beautiful character of love that is the very foundation of your government. We want to be filled with that same love. Would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you cleanse us from all sin? And would you pour out that love in our hearts this morning is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.